0: Welcome to On The Ledge Podcast. I'm your host Jane Perone, feeling perky now that the crocuses have popped up in my lawn and I don't have to mow it. So that means I can spend more time with my houseplants. We're back with Mark Preston this week, epiphytic cacti expert, and he's telling us all about the other members of the Ripsalidae tribe. That's Lepismium, Hatiora and Ripsalis. And he also answers some of your questions about propagating forest cacti and also growing them from seed. Speaking of which, it's very nearly time for the On the Ledge Sew Along. So I'd love to hear from you about what you want to hear in our On the Ledge Sew Along 2019 launch episode. Do you want to know practical stuff about sowing seed? Ideas about where to get your seed from? What kind of houseplant seeds are easy to grow? Let me know exactly what you'd like me to cover and I can add that to the list. And question of the week is a hunt for a very unusual plant that looks a bit like a butterfly. But without further ado, let's crack on with my interview with Mark to find out more about this incredible family of forest cacti. I began by asking Mark about ripsalis, those mistletoe-like plants that have become so popular in the last few years and I wanted to know if the care regime for these plants was the same as the holiday cactus we were talking about in last week's show.
1: They are in many ways. One of the problems with them I guess is that a number of them will not flower until the plants have got to quite a size and so finding places for them in, in a house can be tricky but if you have somewhere where you can actually let them hang down and just do their thing then i think they're really nice plants and i'm very pleased that they've come back into popularity one of the problems with them is that the naming is often awful I mean, even with the Schlamberger and ripsalidopsis you don't always know what you're getting but ripsalis um, then if they are labeled at all they are often wrongly labeled and so it's very difficult to know what you are going to get um, unless you're actually seeing the thing and have enough knowledge of it to know whether it's likely to be the right thing or not but any any number of the species um are worth growing There are about 35 40 species and most of them are attractive in in their own way not all of them have big flowers but many of them make up for that with large numbers of flowers As I say, you need to choose your species to fit your particular circumstances. I think.
0: Yeah, that's very true, and I I guess that is the problem. If it's not properly labelled and you bring it home and you don't realise that it's going to turn into a monster, then uh, (laughs) that's when it gets a bit tricky. It is flowering, the point at which sometimes you can then better identify these plants once you've once you've seen the flowers. Does that help with um, identification?
1: Yes, it it does, um, and even more so, actually, if you can get them to set fruit. Um, the the colors of the fruits can be diagnostic as well. You you can usually um, sort of get a rough idea from the stems once they become sufficiently adult uh, and they're left to grow in their own way. One of the problems with commercial plants is that often they are trimmed very heavily, Uh, a few months before sale and so you get a mass of young growth which is totally uncharacteristic of how the plants are going to be when they get bigger and so it's only once you you get them home you you look after them for maybe a year uh, that they will start to develop the adult stems that, that allow you to start making a stab at what sort of plant you've got but even then yes there are a number of ripsalis which you will not be able to distinguish until you see the flowers and, and as I say, ideally fruits as well. But that's part of the fun, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's very true. Yes. I hope that a lot of people who kind of listen to this podcast Get some joy out of taking a plant home from the garden centre that just says foliage plant or something entirely unuseful and actually get some joy out of the detective process of figuring out what it is, which is... I I, I kind of enjoy it. I love it when people send me a plant picture and say, what's this, Jane? Because I know that if I don't know, I've got a band of people who will help me to track it down. So I, I find that's great fun.
1: I think so. And trying to... Of course... Trying to keep work out how to keep it alive long enough to find out what it is is, is another part of it. Um, I mean, as as a general rule, one of the attractive features of epiphytic cacti is that they can be propagated relatively straightforwardly um, by cuttings. And my my general approach has always been to try and get at least three or four cuttings. of of a plant as soon as i can because then you can start to spread them around one one plant in somewhere a little bit lighter one in different sort of compost a bit wetter one one drier and and see which one dies slowest um and then head in that direction basically (laughs) because until you've actually tested it you will not really know how best to grow it
0: I like your style, Mark. That's exactly how I operate as well. Yes, you've got to you've got to figure out which one is is looking the least miserable and take it from exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got onto the subject of propagation, which is which is something that people definitely wanted to know for these plants. Do we treat them like we would do a succulent cutting of any other kind, and let them callous over once we've taken some stem cuttings? Is that is that the rule for these guys? With the bigger,
1: chunkier ones, you you will probably be able to do that. I'm not sure it's as important with epiphytic cacti. I rather suspect that many of them may well be adapted to dropping off and starting to root immediately in, in you know, where they are growing. Uh, but yes, you can do it. You can callus the bigger ones. The problem with many of the smaller ones is that they don't have a lot of water reserve. Um, so, because they are either growing as A a delicate thin tracery of stems or because they have these flat bladed stems looking like leaves though obviously they aren't leaves they are stems Um, but they don't retain a lot they have a lot of water reserves within them and so you can't afford to just leave them lying around they they will wither and die Um, at the risk of overdoing the uh, the promotion of plastic bags they are a very good way of rooting cacti uh, epiphytic cacti uh, I, I tend not to put any of mine into uh, compost now to root i just wrap them up in a plastic bag with a tiny little bit of of squirt of water to stop them drying out and then i just put them somewhere on a desk and out of direct sun and leave them for a month or two until the roots appear then i pop them up and i find that they suffer that way much less from fungal diseases which can attack them quite badly if uh, if you pop them into compost straight away
0: oh that's really interesting i mean i i, I agree with you and we're all concerned about plastic use but i don't know about you but my Ziploc bags that I use for propagation get used many, many, many times. They <laughs> get washed out in soapy water and reused. So I don't feel too bad about that no. because uh, it's not a one-use situation. But that's really interesting. I've not tried that. And I think that is a brilliant idea for, as you say, getting those roots to form in a nice humid environment and then they're ready to be potted up once they've got H- How long should those roots be before you're looking at potting them up?
1: It depends on the time of year. Uh, If you do it in the spring and summer when the plants are raring to go, it can be um, a matter of 10 days before you start seeing the, uh, the, the root buds appearing at the base of the plant. And as soon as you've got a bit of root growing then probably that is the time to pot them up so it can be within a month or so it, over the winter obviously it will take a lot longer uh, i think there is a danger of course if you let them get too big then you stand more chance of messing the roots and knocking them off when you pot it up so you have to be a bit careful this way round. but they do seem to survive quite well like it in general
0: that's really interesting i did have a a, a listener who commented that she has really struggled to propagate um christmas cactus and ripsalis and that she 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 was letting hers callus and dipping it in rooting powder but that it always withered away for growing roots so hopefully this will help her to grow these successfully um i guess it's another indication of the fact that different houseplants require different techniques and you can't it's not a one-size-fits-all for these guys is it i mean you know Lots of plants now. Root, water, rooting in water is a tremendously popular. Uh, but if it, you've got to sort of try different things for different plants and each one has their own preference.
1: Possibly so. I, I, but I think also I wouldn't want to suggest that there is only one way of doing this. I know people who do things in entirely different ways. Um, you can root things in just um, pumice or, or perlite and vermiculite, um, it, totally inorganic plants. Um, can, can both be used for propagation and indeed for, for growing these things, even though they are entirely unnatural in, in terms of what they, these plants would have experienced in the wild. Um, but there's no, there's no one way of doing it that's right. It's whatever works for you. And uh, one, of the, one of the problems with uh, trying to tell people about this sort of thing is that you can't say what is best. You can simply say what works for you. And what works for somebody else might be entirely different.
0: I guess that's the thing with gardening, that, you know, there's lots of science which we should obviously pay attention to. Um, but at the same time, we're each doing our own individual things in our own individual settings. So we can't always um, apply the same principles.
1: Everybody's conditions are going to be different, particularly if you're doing it at home on a small scale. If you're doing a commercial propagation um, t- uh, seminar or something like that it would be entirely different a couple of things though that are worth pointing out about this one of which of course you will know which is that if you are using scissors or a a knife um, do be careful to try and sterilize it between different when taking cuttings of different plants because one of the downsides of a plant which can be vegetatively propagated quite simply is that they're often quite old plants and they could over time have developed some sort of viral load which could be passed on to another plant Um, and that is something you that everybody should be aware of and try and uh, try and reduce the risk of that Um, one way of doing that of course is not to use knives or or scissors at all Uh, with the christmas and easter cacti for example or uh, other uh, types of epiphytic cacti that grow as short stem sections you can often just twist off those stem sections by hand and if you can do that then you are not passing on any viruses from um, other plants so you're not at risk of, of making your your plants um, suffer in that way the other thing um though, that shouldn't be overlooked is growing from seed, which is great fun. I mean, I'm a sucker for growing things from seed. I have to say, uh, the, I, love, I just love watching them grow. Um, and it is fairly easy to get most of these things to grow from seed. The, with the species, most of them will come fairly true. With the hybrids like the um, Christmas cacti and the um, autumn flowering, uh, thanksgiving cactuses uh, you will you'll find an enormous variety of of seed of colors and shapes uh, coming out of the seeds but that so you won't necessarily get them coming true but that will on the other hand give you enormous possibilities for plants uh, in in different colors uh, different shapes that you you might want to grow on
0: well it's good to hear that because At the end of this month, beginning of next month, uh, probably start of March, we will be kicking off our On the Ledge Sew Along where we try... To, I try and my listeners try to grow houseplants from seed. And I'm always impressed and amazed by the range of things that people try growing. Um, and so I'm hoping that we'll get some epiphytic cacti in there into the mix and we'll see some, some interesting experiments along those lines. How, how easy are the seeds to get hold of, though? I don't know if I saw any epiphytic cacti on the BCSS list this year, but are they are they easy to source?
1: I do know of people who, who do collect seeds seed from their plants uh, and make them available through the BCSS list but they are not common and i don't uh, supposedly they are not very uh, their viability is short uh, they don't last long so they have to be sown quite quickly which might also uh, make this more difficult personally i'm not sure um i have tried growing things that way i my own plants though do quite often set seed and so a lot of my experimenting with these things have been with my own plants. The, the um, Schlumbergeras and the Hattioras, uh well certainly the Schlumbergeras are, are not self-fertile. Uh, the species we've been talking about are not self-fertile. They, they need a second plant to cross-pollinate them um, and that of course is one of the reasons why the uh, the, the progeny can be so varied. Uh, But if you've got two Christmas cacti, autumn flowering cacti, um, there's a fair chance that they will set seed. Or you can encourage them by just putting the flowers up against each other and uh, wiggling them around a bit just to transfer the pollen. And in each seed pod, you will get maybe... 150 250 seeds the problem is what you do with them all when they start to grow
0: (laughs) indeed well that is the the moment where you have to find lots of friends who want to start getting into getting into uh cacti of various kinds exactly Question of the week this week comes from Alexander, who has been caught up in the frenzy surrounding a plant that you often see in those, you won't believe this amazing plant links that you sometimes find on the interwebs. It's called Christia obcordata*, but you might see it more often referred to as the butterfly plant. And looking at photos of it, it's not hard to tell why. It has these incredible butterfly shaped leaves, with red markings arranged in such a way that it really does look like a butterfly, and the papery leaves do move in the breeze and make a lovely butterfly wing effect. So it's easy to understand why this plant has captivated many people. Trouble is, though, it's actually very, very hard to get hold of. And this was Alexander's question. He's been searching everywhere in the US for this plant, all the obvious places from Etsy to Amazon, and he hasn't come up with a single lead on how to get hold of this plant. So he came to On The Ledge podcast for advice. Well, Alexander, I'm not sure I can offer you that much help. I did put your query out onto the Twitterverse and I did get some responses Some people suggesting a couple of sellers on ebay.com. I personally wouldn't go down this route because both of those sellers were based in Thailand and I think one was in China. The reason why I wouldn't go with those is that very, very often those seeds are not what they say they are. The particular seller had only sold about 17 packets of seed, which doesn't really give much of a chance for feedback to build up. I would be very wary of sending money that way when you're not absolutely sure that you're going to be getting the real thing. That said, there is one much more reliable source of seed in the US that I know of. Top Tropicals in the US has had this plant in stock as seed, although it is not currently in stock. Thanks to Mike Clifford, former guest of the show, who's a UK based tropical plant nut for pointing that out. So if I were you, Alexander, I'd get in touch with top tropicals and see if they can put you on a waiting list for some seed when this plant becomes available. Do let me know, listeners, if any of you know where to get hold of this plant or indeed if you've had success growing it. It is by all accounts a little bit tricksy. It likes high heat and high humidity. That's because it comes from places like Taiwan and Japan. Uh, The the stems and leaves are very thin, uh, so it does need that high humidity and it might be something that you struggle to keep alive unless you have a nice humid conservatory. It's worth a try. It's such a gorgeous plant that if I could get my hands on one, sure, I'd definitely be trying to grow it. A couple of interesting asides about this plant. According to the Useful Tropical Plants website, this plant is used as a cover crop in Japan. It's actually a member of the legume family, so it's nitrogen fixing. The roots have nodules on them which are able to fix nitrogen from the air, which is a very handy thing for plants to be able to do. So it's used in Japan as a way of increasing soil nutrition. And also just to say, it's not related to Oxalis triangularis, which it does look a little bit like, just in case you're wondering if they were in some way closely related. They're not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish that uh, Chrystia obcordata ob- was as easily obtained as Oxalis triangularis, but not at the moment. But I'm hoping that you guys will be able to lead us in the right direction of getting hold of some of these plants. So do offer us your top tips. If you've got a question for On the Ledge, do let me know on the ledge at gmail.com is how to get in touch and now back to my chat with mark part 2 let's talk a little bit about the two other genera to use the correct mm-hmm. word that we haven't already discussed the lepismiums and the hatiora these i know very little about other than i love the some of the common names of some of these plants are incredible uh, when I was just doing some Googling this morning, I came across one called, with a common name, which I'm sure somebody's made up, Drunkard's Dream.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I thought that would be the one you were going to mention. Uh,
0: and I think there's another one called Drunken Bones, or Dancing Bones, I think it is, um, that I came across.
1: I don't know that. It might be the same thing. Um, but the Hatiora is is now... Um, I, I, A small genus, only three, two or three species in it. Um, and only one of those is at all common. Uh, and that's, that is the one that you just called Drunkard's Dream. And the reason for the name, I think, is because the stem sections uh, are vaguely bottle shaped. Um, I, I, more like a juggler's, um, what's the word? The things that jugglers use?
0: Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to edit this in afterwards. I can't really remember.
1: Absolutely. No, me neither. But Anyway, it's vaguely bottle-shaped, but uh, but thin thin at one end and then fattening out at the other end. And I think that is – so the drunken stream is obviously an allusion to lots of bottles um, on this plant. But it's somewhat fanciful and um, entirely unnecessary to, to think of it in those terms. It's just a fairly small, neat plant, very tolerant, actually, of, of – um, quite a lot of light um, quite a lot of cold quite a lot of um, neglect actually and it rewards you um, all being well every spring with beautiful yellow flowers there is uh, a another species of hatiora which has brilliant um, carmine pink flowers uh, less common that that's called Hatiora herminii. It's less easily obtainable, but it's an absolutely brilliant plant if you can find it. And that tends to have just straight cylindrical stems rather than these so-called bottle-shaped ones.
0: Oh, that sounds interesting. I like the sound of that. The, The lapismiums, I've never seen these for sale anywhere, but perhaps that's just me and my limited options in terms of where I can shop. Tell me about lapismiums
1: well um about five or six species N- you're quite right they are not they don't tend to feature prominently in in commerce uh, which is a pity actually because they are v- quite robust, quite tolerant creatures. Uh, There is one which often appears in mixed cactus collections, and that's called Lipismium warmingianum. And the reason why it's, it's more commonly grown perhaps than others is because it is more tolerant of higher light intensities, less watering, and so on. And so people who grow terrestrial cacti often have a dark corner somewhere that they shove this plant in and uh, forget about it for 10 months of the year. And then in the spring, there's masses of white flowers appear, and they think, oh, that's why we've got it. And then you forget about it again as soon as it finishes flowering. So there's that one. Um, but there are a number of others which are more, more interesting as epiphytes, I think. Um, there is a species, lipismium cruciforme, which um, has been grown for many years. But and it only has small flowers, really, but it's got quite a tolerant plant. But there is a, a more recent discovery, which is coming into commerce now, I think, called Lipismium floribundum. Now, floribundum, of course, means lots of flowers and it really does it's a magnificent thing uh, about twice the size of lipismium cruciforme uh flowers maybe three cent- two three centimeters across um pink uh flowers all year round and it's scented as well i'm i'm looking out of my out of my window into a conservatory where i've got lots of flowers on my plants immediately outside
0: well oh, that sounds lovely one question that somebody wanted to ask about generally about taking uh, cuttings of these plants is cuttings going red, going having taking on a red blush. Is that a sign that it's had too much sun or too much cold? Is there a general diagnosis for that?
1: When the stems of any epiphytic cactus go red, It generally means that it's been put under some stress. What the stress is, is not always as easy to to tell. It could be just too much light. It could be that it suffered from drought. Uh, It can sometimes happen as a result of overwatering. So the, the actual cause is not as easy to diagnose, but it does mean that if, if one of your plants has done that then it's suffered in some way and you need to try and work out why preferably before it gets any worse.
0: <laughs> that's helpful and you can begin your kind of detective work to figure out the pro- what the problem is as long as you know that there is a problem that's a good starting point.
1: I think that's right but there is a problem with this which is that these plants are, however you treat them, these plants are in cacti and uh, relatively slow to die so if for example you've overwatered a plant um, and its roots have all rotted off it could be some months before that becomes apparent uh, so uh, by the time you actually realize that the plant has gone red and is starting to look a bit wilty you, the conditions that you're giving it might be entirely different. You have to try and think what was, what did I do several months back that could be
0: causing this? <laughs> Which is why good record keeping is uh, is a good thing when it comes to this kind of thing. I have to admit my record keeping is dire, but uh, I usually rely on my. Dodgy memory, and then I can't remember what at all what was going on or why why I've done a particular thing. But yeah, if you keep a record, I guess that does help you to figure out exactly what was going on.
1: If you if you've noted down the right things, the other thing (laughs) to do, of course, is like I said, have four cuttings dotted around the place so that if you do kill one, there's a fair chance that another one might be. Is still surviving and you can try again
0: give us all uh, hope here mark do you do you still occasionally kill things and think darn what what have i done wrong here is is it are there still casualties in your collection
1: oh always uh, yes i i can't stop experimenting i mean even if the poor things are doing their best uh, i keep thinking what if and trying something slightly different and uh, so yes, uh, I, I'm permanently killing things. Also, some uh, some new things that I get, I, I really don't uh, necessarily get the hang of how to do it quickly enough. And there are so so there are some where I have to sort of start again from scratch. But there are also some which simply do not like my conditions. And after I've tried two or three times, if exactly the same thing has happened every time, then basically I think you know that. Um, it's not doing me or the plant any good to try and prolong our relationship. And so I, I just uh, admit that these are perhaps ones that I'm not going to be able to do.
0: Very wise, very wise. And Mark, you give talks about epiphytic cacti. Are there any sort of very common questions at that bit of the end where everyone kind of wakes up and decides to ask you a question? Well, perhaps that's just my talks. Um, <laughs> are there any really <laughs> common questions that that come up over and over again? When you talk to people about these plants,
1: I would hope that uh, that over the course of the talk, I'd managed to sort of uh, either answer or, or fend off many of the questions that would crop up. But but the ones we've that always comes up, we're well, certainly with um, the Schlumberger, When I'm talking about Schlumberger, is always the the question of timing. So which we we come, we've discussed ourselves um, a few minutes back. So. Um, the, really it's not there, there isn't any any sort of extra question which which suddenly pops into people's heads at the end it's more just a question of um trying to explain to them the to, to try and get an understanding of how these plants are growing in nature and then trying to mimic that and and so the whole of the, my talks are, are really designed to try and get people into that mindset as quickly as possible um, rather than uh, try and tell them individual facts. I, I prefer to try and get them into a... to, to understand the, or to get an impression of, of how they should be trying to grow these plants because I think that's ultimately what what everyone should be trying to do with houseplants is trying to understand how they will be happiest rather than force them into some other way of growing.
0: Well, I've been I've certainly learned a lot from our conversation Mark and I'm going to go inside and just check all my (laughs) cacti and see if they need a bit of a tweak because uh, yeah, I think certainly there's a few lessons I can learn from, from what you said today so thank you so much for joining me today Mark
1: you're very welcome thank you
0: that just about wraps up this week's show but before I go I want to raise a big thank you to my new legend this week Thank you, Emma, for supporting On The Ledge with a donation that unlocks extra content for you and helps support the show. And thanks to Laura, who gave a one-off donation via code ficom If you want to become a donor too, check out the show notes to find out how. I'll be back next Friday with more chat about your favourite houseplants, from the aloe vera to the double Z plant. Take care, folks. Bye. music you heard in this week's episode was roll jordan roll by the joy drops an instrument the boy called happy day gacana by samuel corwin and oh mallory by josh woodward with ad music by the heftone banjo orchestra all licensed under creative commons see my website for details